Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia, and we're on episode 121 with our special guest this week from Deep Blues Something. Remember the song Breakfast at Tiffany's? Because it's one of those songs that has been played over and over for decades. And I feel like everyone I talk to has heard of the song. What a massive hit that's really expanded over the generations. Um, my special guest is Todd Pipes. And uh, he's him and his brother Toby t are basically like the lead singers of the band. So we had a great chat. It was so nice to talk to him about all things Deep Blue Something and what they experienced during that time, what they're doing now. But let's get right to it. Here's a little background on Deep Blue Something. Wikipedia moments. Please bear in mind that Wikipedia is not to be taken as actual 100% fact. Any donkey could edit it at any time. If I'm reading you the artist's bio, that stuff is the real truth. Thanks, Andrew. Now, Deep Blue Something is an American rock band who are known for their 1995 hit single, Breakfast at Tiffany's, from their second album, Home. Home achieved gold record status. However, the band parted ways with Interscope Records and went on creative hiatus for several years, only releasing the follow-up Byzantium in Japan and some European countries. They eventually signed with the Azura label, I hope I said that right, <laughs> and released Deep Blue Something, the self-titled album, in mid-2001, breaking up shortly after. The band regrouped with all members at the end of 2014 and signed to John Kirtland's independent label, Kirtland Records. Here's some history. The group was founded in 1991 in Denton, Texas by brothers Todd and Toby Pipes, students at the University of North Texas at the time. The brothers enlisted drummer John Kirtland and guitarist Clay Burgess. Deep Blue Something originally performed as Leper Messiah after the line from David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust. Burgess left the band before the band started recording their first album, 11th Song. The band independently released the album in 1993. Kirk Tatum joined the band after the album's release. Then in 94, the band released their second album, Home, via an independent label named Brando Records. Home was re-released a year later by major label Interscope. The accompanying single Breakfast at Tiffany's peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and topped the charts in the United Kingdom. According to Todd Pipes, the lyrics of the song were inspired by Audrey Hepburn's performance in the feature film Roman Holiday, but he thought that the Hepburn film Breakfast at Tiffany's would make a better song title. The huge success of the single and lack of follow-up activity led to their classification as a one-hit wonder band within some music circles. In late 1995, Tatum left the band and Burgess returned to his role as guitarist. The band worked on their third album, titled Byzantium, with a planned release in 96. However, Deep Blue Something came into legal troubles over the copyright of 11th song and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Although the lawsuits were finally settled, Interscope put the album on hold, focusing on their other label artists such as Limp Bizkit. Interscope eventually released the album in 1998, but only in Japan. The band then sued Interscope and won a release from their contract. Then they signed with Ezra Records, uh, based out of Phoenix, Arizona, and their self-titled album, which contains five tracks from Byzantium, 
was released in 2001. Shortly after that album release, the band drifted apart and its members worked on separate projects for over a decade. And then in 2014, Todd Pipes posted an Instagram photo teasing that the band was back together and working on a new project, eventually revealed to be an EP titled Locust House. The EP was released as a digital download on June 29, 2015. What a pleasure it was to finally have a member of Deep Blue Something on the show, so I want you all to welcome Todd Pipes to Dope Nostalgia. Get her to kind of chill out. Sorry, I just hit the record there. Okay. I'm trying to get her to chill out, but she's in a mood today where she wants to <laughs> hang out. So I'm glad That's you're okay good. with that. Yeah, I love cats. I love them. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Um, this is a podcast called Dope Nostalgia, where we talk about everything 90s and what people who had hits in the 90s are doing today. Okay. So, you and your brother, right, founded the band, Toby. That's yes. correct. Yes. Is your whole family musical? yeah definitely our, our parents are like uh what we would call legit singers like they actually got through college on vocal scholarships so they're like the real thing we just wow. sing, we just sing because we couldn't find a lead singer <laughs> so they're like real singers oh geez. Uh, but but yeah it was one of those those households where it's just there was always music and things like that but you know having parents like that they do give you like little tips along the way that you kind of remember that that definitely do pay off so so that's cool very much so um the very beginning with the release of your debut album 11th song what was the meaning behind that album and how did that come into what was the journey like to create it well so that was you know kind of the the beginnings of our foray into indie uh, indie band existence because everybody around us in, in kind of the, the Dallas and Denton area, they were, everybody was just doing things. So if you wanted to make a record, well, you just went and made a record. You would, you just found a way. And so we found this studio, uh, that was run by this guy named Eric Delagard. And he's, he's still making records, um, in Denton. And anyway, we just got some, some money together and went and made a record and it's called the 11th song because there's a, there's an 11th track on there that doesn't have a title. Um, uh. And so that, that's the only, there's no deep meaning behind it. Um, and we still to this day have never named that song, but that's our 15 minute like space epic that we sometimes, <laughs> sometimes close concerts with. So, but that's just what you did. And I was just amazed by that. Cause you know, we came from the Houston area and th there wasn't a music scene like that, but, in the Denton, Dallas, Fort Worth area, everything was just DIY and you just did stuff. And so I was, that was amazing to even get to do that. So, yeah. So you're originally from Houston instead? I, I thought it was maybe in like the Dallas area. No, well, uh, Toby and I grew up uh, in Huntsville, which is uh, north, just north of Houston. Um, John is from Austin. Uh, Clay and Kirk are more from the Dallas area, but we all met up at the University of North Texas, which is in, in the Denton, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Okay. Yeah. yeah so the we always say the band is from Dallas, but all of us are not actually from here. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned that I'm from Canada. This is a okay. Canadian, and we're in a province called Alberta. Yeah. Which okay. Is very much called the Texas of Canada. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. 
So, so what, what constitutes people saying that, do you think? Like, why, why is, what makes The number it- one reason is the oil industry, but I think it's also has to do with like, just a lot of the same type of values and like the farming industry, agriculture, things like that. Sure. That this would cons- be considered. The rugged individualism, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Now, the album Home that came out in 94, um, how did you make that transition during that time from your record labels from Brando to Interscope? Well, it was um, it was really this, the same thing. It was just time for us to make a record. So we just, uh, we actually got this club owner to, to like co-sign on a loan. We got a loan for $5,000 mm. and we went to the studio and we only spent 2,500. And so, so we paid back the loan really quickly and it really messed up my, cause my name was on, on the loan. And so it really messed up my credit for a while because we paid it off really quickly. I didn't realize that banks don't like you to do that. But anyway, so we made that record and that's the one that started getting a lot of airplay and stuff like that. And so Interscope, when they signed us, they just stamped Interscope on it and put it right back out. But it was just another indie record we had made. Um, you know, and if we hadn't gotten signed by that point, we would have just probably made another record. And that's just what what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does, it is a testament, again, to that indie mentality that we were just going to do it. And in doing so, in doing it in that way, like a lot of times when you get a record deal, well, you, you get signed and then you spend most of the money that they have given you making a record, mm-hmm. right? But for us, we already had this made. We remixed a couple of songs, but in general, so we got to, you know, pocket. We had we had made the right investment, I guess. Let's put it that way. And mm-hmm. so it really paid off for us. But the, yeah, that little record, just another little indie record, took us all around the world lots of times. And so that was that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Absolutely. And I mean, Breakfast at Tiffany's is still a huge well-played song like it's it's always on radio which i absolutely <laughs> love this many years after the fact yeah. um where do you think the longevity lies in this track you know i i i have no idea even when i think about it, it's like why i don't really understand why people like it necessarily mm. but the longevity thing it's really interesting there's a dj here in in dallas his name is Redbeard. i've heard of him he, yes he, oh, he's the legend. Okay. Yeah. Well, he sat me down and this was right before we got our record deal or right, right after we had gotten our record deal and we were doing a little interview and he said, you know, this one's going to be evergreen. Right. And I went, I don't know what, what that means. He said, there are songs that are hits and hits come and go. Like they may be here this month and then they're gone. And then there's other songs that are called solid gold. And those are ones that that maybe stick around for a while and maybe they end up later on a compilation and people know those songs. He said, but then there's those, these songs and they're called evergreen in the radio industry. And he said, this one is evergreen. I guarantee it. And I just went, really? He said, yeah. And he said, and he said, the reason why is because it sounds like it could have come from any era. He's like, this song could have come out in the sixties and you wouldn't know the difference now. Could have come out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. And he was dead on right about that because I'm, I, I'm contacted by young people that have maybe just heard the song. And they know it's not current, but 
but they don't know when it came out. They think, well, maybe it just came out a few years ago, but they don't know that it was in the mid nineties. Yeah. And so that was the one guy that, man, he was dead on. And that's why he is who he is. Cause he, he, he understands music, but yeah, he, mm. he, he totally called it. It was amazing. It's, it's the timeless quality, not only from the nineties forward, but I thought it was interesting that he said even back to the sixties that it could have been, Yeah, you know, it's just wild. <laughs> but in, in a way, like my, my first music that I heard when I was a kid that I think really ingrained in my brain was a lot of that 60s stuff. So mm. maybe somehow it wound its way in there. I have no idea. What were you listening to? Uh, when I was a kid, I, I just remember on the radio, it was very much that California late 60s thing. The Mamas and the Papas. Mm. Uh, Herb Alpert and his Tijuana Brass. I just remember it seemed like anytime we went into the bank, that was on the radio. Um, the Beach Boys, a lot of that kind of stuff. And so I just, that it was that late 60s thing. I remember hearing the door light my fire on the radio but when I was a little kid. My mom had left me in the car to go into the bank because <laughs> you did that back then. <laughs> just turn the radio on, leave the kid in the car. But totally. I remember... I remember hearing this magical song and it was light my fire and trying to explain to my mom because it had these classical elements, but everything was that, that late sixties, California sound. And it just, and then later my, my parents listened to a lot of like singer songwriter stuff. Um, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So yeah, that's definitely ingrained. Oh, I, could, I could picture Simon and Garfunkel performing the song. Yeah. Like, oh, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't it? It would, yeah. You'll say We've got nothing in common No common ground to start from And we're falling apart You'll say come between us our lives have come between us still I know you just don't care and I said what about breakfast to Tiffany she said I think I remember could pick an artist like maybe more recent artist um to cover one of your songs who would you pick and what song wow okay so that's that's well heavy um <laughs> there there's there's so many things now that are kind of a atonal or or a melodic um yeah. i don't know yeah you gotta let me think on that a minute oh uh, sure yeah <laughs> I, I that's funny I would, uh, you know, what's funny though, it's like several like EDM people have tried to do like a remix of it mm -hmm. because when you first hear it, you think the beats are very straight, but, but mo most of the words and stuff are actually on upbeats. And so uh -huh. it, it, it doesn't work like it <laughs> so far, the formula has not been cracked to turn it into a, into like an EDM song. The uh -huh. remix. Yeah. Can't even, you know, now I, I think I thought, it, I think. I think it would just be funny 
to hear just a pretty straight up cover, like a Taylor Swift cover of like Breakfast at Tiffany's or Home maybe. Taylor Swift mm -hmm. might, might do a lovely version of Home. But yeah, but yeah, that would be really funny to me. Good choice. I gotta, I gotta admit, she's very, she's very talented. She's, you know, and at least she plays an instrument and writes her own songs and stuff. So I, I do definitely respect that. It's the writing that gets me with her. Like, I, yeah. I think that's where my respect lies because yep. she's a fantastic writer. Yeah. Now, now, does it ever get old playing the same big hit all the time, every show? No, never, never. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't agree with those bands that give you that. We don't play that one anymore. What's that about? Um, I, Cause I remember a big Depeche Mode fan. And forever, Depeche Mode always played Just Can't Get Enough. Even if they've just re released a very dark album, they would still come out and they would still play Just Can't Get Enough. I think as time went on, maybe they don't anymore or they hadn't recently. But, but forever and ever, they always did. And it was always fun. And mm -hmm. you want, it's like the cure playing Boys Don't Cry. Well, they've got a billion songs to choose from, but they acknowledge that's the one that got it started. Now for us, we kind of have to play it. Yeah. <laughs> People be really, really it's like, well, you know, it's the really the one song, it's the one song that we know. So it, you know, you gotta play it. But it's always fun and people always sing it. You know, it's it's probably the most fun when you're in a completely different country and everybody's singing it back to you in English. That's that's the coolest. But just people singing along and having fun. Uh, hopefully not for whatever reason it makes people fight. There's always like a fight that breaks out. I don't know if it's maybe it's because it's wow. that time of the evening, but even going back to our early days, it was like, here it comes and there would be a fight and just something would break out. I don't know, but- All the rowdiness <laughs> came out. That's right, that's right. But thankfully like our crowd's older now and they don't fight as much, but <laughs> it's still fun. A little more, a little more chill. Um, right. Where did you get to travel during that time to, to play that oh, really- man. Uh, all, all over the world. We spent a lot of time in Europe. Um, but, you know, we got to play in China, uh, Jakarta, Taiwan. Mm. I mean, all over the Far East. That was really, that was the most eye-opening part of things. We didn't get to go at, at, at the time to South America. And I, I wish we had had the opportunity, but there was just, things were really dangerous at the time there. Yeah. And so we didn't get to do that, but, but everywhere else, you know, we never made it. We didn't, didn't make it to Iceland, even though we went number two there, but we still never been to Iceland. Hmm. So that's something well, maybe I hope we can get to at some point. Absolutely. What was one of your most memorable performances, whether it be a live show or on television, some one that stands out to you? Um, there, <laughs> there were a lot of funny TV performances, um, because we had never had the experience of lip syncing before. And so our first time doing it, we were on this, we were in Manila and there was this very sort of, cause sometimes people get really artsy like with television performances. And so while we were playing, there were all these women sort of dressed like cats, you know, like, lions and leopards and stuff and they were sort of writhing and dancing around us huh. and that part was weird <laughs> but, but it was also weird that we were in this big theater this television studio 
And it was the one of the only buildings we had been in that day that was air conditioned. And so there were lots of people in there just because it was air conditioned, but they weren't like clapping. So all the clapping, all the applause was fake because we were, and there's just people just kind of sitting there just because it was blistering hot outside. So we've got the cat people, we've got the people in the audience that aren't making noise and yet there's lots of crowd noise. And because we are lip syncing, Clay, who is beside me, has tuned his guitar into this crazy, horrible tuning. And he is screaming out of key because he knows only I can hear this. It's not going out to the TV land. They're just hearing the track. (laughs) And I can't hold it together because Clay's insane anyway. But I, I, you know, because I'm having to try to get to make it look like I'm singing the words that was the fun was one of the funniest things I've ever been involved in. I almost didn't make it. And then every time I think about it, it makes me smile. But yeah, I was like, I was asking Toby, did you see what Clay was doing? He's like, no, I had cat women writhing around my feet. I didn't see any of what are you talking about? There were chickens running around backstage. I don't know how was, you kept it together at all. It was a, wow. it was a wild, it was a wild day, but yeah, good old Clay. Clay's killing him to do something nuts. That was good. That was a good. I wonder day. if you can find this on YouTube. I, I would love to. I would love to find this. I don't even know how to look for it, but that would well, be funny to see. Because I'm whatever I'm describing, I promise what you're picturing in your head, it was a thousand times weirder than what you're picturing. I'll take a look and if I find the link, I'll I'll email it to you. <laughs> okay, I'd love to. I bet I'm pretty sure it was in Manila. If that helps, okay, eighty percent sure. <laughs> um, who did you get to meet during that time? Who was a big influence on you? Um, we we got to meet Phil Collins when we were on top of the pops one time. That was that was absolutely amazing because he was so. You know, you're you're afraid to meet people that you look up to. You know, and, and Phil Collins is a musician's musician, and. Mm you know, he's sold a hundred million records and stuff. And we're on top of the pops together. And uh, I had almost physically bumped into him because I was out in the hallway looking at pictures because it's, you know, in the BBC, they just have pictures on the wall. And so I'm just kind of working my way down the hall. And I noticed that there's this other guy kind of working his way down the opposite way. And we kind of meet in the middle and it was Phil Collins. And I just was, Hey, (laughs) he's like, Hey, how's it going? And then, you know, we just kind of kept going. And then so I went back to the dressing room and I sent like our little assistant around and I said, hey, you know, Phil Collins is on the show today. And she said, yeah, he's he has a new song out. And this was the this is when we went number one, too. So we had been on there several times. So we went number one that day. And so we were like, hey, do you think you could see if we could meet him? She's like, yeah, sure. And so she went, she came right back and she said, yeah, he was really surprised that you would want to meet him. And I was like, what the heck? that's bizarre. <laughs> and so we go meet him and we instantly start peppering him with these technical questions. You know, we're like, Hey man, we were listening to seconds out on the bus, which is Genesis is that's their second live album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did you do any overdubs? He was like, why were you listening to Seconds Out? What are you talking about? He was like, dude, like we're fans, like serious, you know, and there's some complicated stuff on there. How, you know, everybody usually has to fix stuff online about it. He said, no, uh, that 
nothing was overdubbed. It was a purely live album with the exception. He said, we had this 12 string guitar and anytime um, it was being played, there was this horrible buzz and we couldn't leave it. We had to fix it. So he said, any song that has a 12 string, we fix that. Mm. But he was just having this conversation with us and telling us all this stuff. I was just amazed, but he was like, we had known him forever. And then, you know, <laughs> And then we had this magic moment where we were like, hey, we're going to go grab dinner after this. You know, would you want to go with us? And he said, oh, no, I've got to fly my helicopter back to Switzerland. And we we're like, oh, right, because you're <laughs> Phil Collins and we're just this band. So we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, good luck on that. That was, that was awesome. But he was, he was so nice. He probably loved your questions, you know. He was, Something I refreshing. tell you one thing, I could tell he was genuinely confused and surprised, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we need, we needed to know those answers. It was that's, good. that's a good story. <laughs> Loved it. He was nice. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Cool, man. Hey, listen, yeah! It's your boy Nitty Green. It's your boy PIE. And I'm Dee. And we are the Bob Sessions crew, y'all. Listen, do us a favor. Stop by every Sunday night, man, on Facebook at 7 p.m. Tell them what we're doing. Talking life, loving music. Of course. I think D didn't quite know what we were doing on Bob Sessions. But it's cool, though. It's cool. Listen, <laughs> listen, man. Like and share our page at Bob Sessions Official on Facebook. And also go over to Instagram, right? And let's build that page as well. Let's build the same it. thing at Bob Sessions Official, man. We're here. Yo, we here. We love y'all, man. Peace. Thank you love for you. your support. Hey now kids, come gather around See what just skipped in the town So skip it, skip it Do run, do jump, do hop, hop Skip it, skip it Skipping and a screaming and a bop to bop But the very best thing of all There's a counter on this ball So try to beat your very best score See if you can jump a whole lot more Skip it, skip it Skip it and kick and spin skip it with retractable cords, each sold separately. Tell me about your solo album, Taurus Petals, in 2008. Um, I've done a a couple of them. Yeah, that was was my first one. And it was was just during, I don't know, Toby had done a couple of side projects. So I just kind of kept thinking, well, I, I should do something. And it took me forever, like I would start and stop because, you know, at, when you have a sound in your head and it's not like coming through the speakers, you know, I put it off. And then there's this one day where I sat down to kind of do something and I heard the sound back that I wanted to hear. And then I just kept going and made the whole record. Um, so on that particular one, 
it's, it's, I play all the instruments with the exception of the drums. I have a couple of friends and I got them to play drums for it. Mm-hmm. And I like it. I think it turned out really well. I got to do things, you know, that I wouldn't normally do in the band. Although I, the whole time I kept thinking it would be so much easier if I could just bounce this off of other people, you know, mm-hmm. it's like all the things you hate about being in a band sometimes are the things that you really want when you're making a solo record, you know? Yeah. You want those little arguments or just want someone to go, well, hey, this one kind of sucks. Or, <laughs> or why is this one part so long? Or, you know, anything like that. So I just made it totally, you know, by myself, engineered it, mixed it, all that stuff. Um, and then the second solo record is just me. I programmed it. Have, wait, have I done three records? Oh, yeah, I did, an, I did, an e, I did two EPs. That's what it was. Ah. Uh, but yeah, each time, like the third one was actually supposed to be a Deep Blue Something recording. And we were having trouble communicating. And so since it was taking so long to get going, I just kind of kept finishing the songs. And finally, I just said, guys, I think I'm just going to release this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was weird. But yeah, every time I do it, it's always like, yeah, I should just call the guys. It'd be a lot easier. Oh, well. it is. It is funny that you say that, especially because it's like there's so much freedom involved in doing your own solo work. But then you're like, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you end up putting on like on that first record, especially there's a couple of songs that have like 800 instruments on it. You could tell I was just going crazy. The other <laughs> ones are more. I calmed down a little bit on the other ones. But <laughs> fun, fun to make. And it, they're good. as kind of a time capsule of what I was thinking of at the time. Uh, what was your favorite album that you made in Deep Blue Something? Period. Your personal um, favorite. I, I would have to say the Byzantium album, which mm. never really got released. It was released kind of in parts. Like we took a few songs from Byzantium and put them on the self-titled. But Byzantium as a whole record, which I think we're going to try to release on vinyl this year. Oh, good. Um, I, I, I. I think that we had something there. I think I think it might be two or three songs too long, but as as far as a whole piece, and as far as being able to see, you know, the progression of songwriting, I think it's got something. You know, and it was fun to record because we we recorded it. It doesn't sound like it, but we recorded that record mostly live, hmm. uh, and it it really came across well. So yeah, it was cool. That, that was a good one. Now, I like to play some clips um, of the artist music throughout the show. And I always like to ask you of all the um, tracks that were album tracks, deep cuts, what would you have wished to have been a single? Huh. Um, I don't know about being a single necessarily. Um, I'm trying to think of actually. Maybe the wording could be basically that was your favorite song that you. Yeah, wish yeah. You Daybreak in a, I think Daybreak in a Candle End is my favorite song we've ever done. Mm. Um, just because the arrangement is is I, I find it interesting and I, and I really like to play it and it's a difficult song to play. Mm. I think it. I think that one maybe is where we really kind of show that our Rush influence. You know, which when people see us live a lot, they they're like, y'all are way into Rush, aren't you? And you're like, yes, we are. As much as we love 
as much as we, <clears throat> we love the cure and the Smiths and stuff, and we do, Rush is, a, is the kind of that foundation influence, especially I think with John and I, and Daybreak in a Candle and has a lot, it's like if you mashed the cure and the, the cure and Rush together, it kind of shows up on that song. There's another song called So Precious, which I think is really fun. And it's the one song that has uh, a little vocal from our drummer, John, on it. So that makes it extra. And that, that's kind of related to our worldwide travels. So So Precious, that could have been a single, I think. And I think that's really fun. Well, I'll play a couple clips of those <laughs> songs so everybody gets a chance to hear them. All right, cool. And... Um... Now, when we talk about the 90s, we talk about how the internet came into play during that decade. Mm -hmm. Did you get involved using the internet in its early stages to promote the band? Um, not really, just because I don't think anyone really grasped it at the time. Um, <clears throat> I, I do know this. I, I do know that the things that showed up later as far as being an issue like Napster and downloading and all that stuff, mm -hmm. I know that that impacted us a lot with that before anyone really realized it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we were in that perfect window that people were like, I want that song. And people Ooh. just were downloading the living hell out of it. And, and, and people didn't really know. Um, and so that, you know, people don't really realize how, what that did to the music industry, mm -hmm. you know, all they think about, somehow they always tie the whole Napster thing to Lars from Metallica complaining and everybody thinking, well, he's a millionaire. Why is he complaining? You're like, well, no, I hate to say it, but Lars was right. Like it costs bands a lot of money to make records. Yeah. And, and 
if they don't make that money back, they don't get to make them anymore. And yeah, maybe it's not hurting Metallica that much, but it's hurting these really small bands that really need every single sale. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was interesting. And then another way that we've kind of figured out what had happened during that weird era is when uh, iTunes started selling single, you know, when iTunes was available, because it's weird to think about that at one time it wasn't. But as soon as iTunes existed, Breakfast at Tiffany's was in the top 10. And this was in 2001. Like whenever, because I remember when uh, the first White Stripes record was out, you know, fell in love with a girl, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We were in the top 10 with them. And again, because it's one of those songs that as a new format comes out, people want it on that. And they're like, oh man, I bet we really don't have any idea what that free download period did to us, you know, as far as the millions and millions of sales that were lost, but oh well. Wow. Well, I hope that there's some justice in that coming back around in, in the way that you got sales after the yeah. fact. No, we definitely didn't get sales after the fact because, but, mm. but, but things have continued, you know, like, like with Spotify and stuff, you know, people complain a lot about Spotify. But like we get Rex and Tiffany's gets on Spotify alone about a million plays a week. Wow. Right. Which is pretty cool because it does add up over time. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty cool thing. And that's why, you know, you mentioned earlier, do you get tired of playing? And it's like, no, we're, we will always be thankful because it, it affords us a lot of opportunity to do things. Well, yeah, that time flipped the industry on its head completely. So yeah. it almost seems to me like, uh, an album itself became more of like a commercial for the band, let alone their bread and butter. And then yes. now touring merchandise, that seems mm-hmm. to be where profits are made. Yeah, so, it, it can be, except for like right now, with yeah. I don't know how it is in Canada with the gas prices. It's like mm. touring has become so expensive. I think it may be the wave of the f- future might be to do a performance and, and, and shoot it with video and, and make it available like a really high quality performance that people can watch in their homes, you know, with great audio and that kind of thing. So that way, maybe you're not touring, but you, you, there's a visual performance of the band. And do you think, obviously, because the last two years we haven't been able to tour, that mm. this might have changed things for the future and, and how performances are put out there? I, I think so. I think so. I think there's um, cause once you get out of that habit, you know, of going to see bands and stuff, you know, scenes change, people get distracted by other things. You know, when you think back to the nineties too, during that time period, the thing that you did when you went out was to just go see a band, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what people did. There was a period in the eighties where it was much more dance clubs and stuff. The nineties was let's go check out a band and you would just mm-hmm. go. And so over time that has changed and COVID I think certainly changed that. Maybe it changes back, who knows? But, you know, um, I don't think there's anything that can replace the roar of a crowd. Just being in a building with that many fans, enjoying, mm-hmm. your, enjoying the music. I don't think that's replaceable or yeah. changeable. It's I, good to I back agree. To. Yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about current projects and shows coming up. Okay. What, are, what have you been working on? Um, 
we've been slowly kind of getting, you know, we had an EP a few years ago. We had a new single last year before last called Don't Stop. And I, I think we all really liked that. That was definitely a, a COVID thing. I wrote it, um, you know, and the guys would kind of come by the studio. It, it was very kind of atypical for the way that we do things, but we wanted to do something. And so I think that that's a very, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's cool to have songs because it reminds you of a time period. And that was really one of our COVID songs. Mm. Um, and then we have another one that's finished and we don't really quite know what to do with it yet. It's called nothing, nothing really happens. And so that's waiting. Um, mm. We just remixed a song from Byzantium um, that never really saw the light of day um, called Cherry Lime Ricky. And I'm hoping to get it out because we have some shows coming up this summer. And I think it's a kind of a good summer song. So, Fantastic. Yeah, we're kind of always trying to keep things in the pipeline, but everybody's doing stuff. And so sometimes it's difficult to coordinate, you know, mm. to get people out to the studio to do things. But shows are good because, you know, they're on the calendar and you have to show up. We have to rehearse at one point and then we have to get on the plane or get in the van or whatever it is to get there. So those are always good because we have to be together. And then that's all that's always hilarious and fun. You have a show coming up with Everclear right away. Are you doing a lot of touring with them? Um, just a few. We've got uh, we do two with Sister Hate three. Sorry, three with Sister Hazel. Mm -hmm. um, we got two in in Colorado and then we go up to South Dakota and then it's us Everclear and Sister Hazel. And I think in, in June we do another one with Everclear and Sister Hazel. So um, it's just a few shows here and there. But I think it's that sounds like a pretty fun bill. So. Yeah. Super yeah. Good. That's a lot of value in that bill. And I think it'll be uh, nice to get back on stage again. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, where would you tell someone to visit who is a tourist to your hometown? Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I would say if you're coming to, to the Dallas area, I, I, I would more than anything say, don't miss out on Fort Worth. Everybody visits Dallas and Dallas is great. It's, it's very pretty and, and, you know, and everybody knows Dallas, but Fort Worth is sort of the uncovered gem, right? It has great architecture. It's, it's a little bit more condensed and stuff. So just going to Fort Worth and hitting a few of the restaurants and stuff and just walking around kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the main pedestrian thoroughfare and stuff, kind of the downtown area of Fort Worth. Got to, got to go there. I got to find good barbecue. <laughs> now, listen, that's one thing that this, you can throw a rock and hit great barbecue. It's nice. it, it, everywhere. Everyone argues. Like I'm thinking, I live in this very small little area in between Dallas and Fort Worth there's three or four fantastic barbecue places just in this town yeah. and everyone are. Yeah. Trust me. There's, there's plenty. <laughs> the only time so far I've been to Dallas was at the airport on a layover and I was looking for barbecue in the airport. I was, like, <laughs> I was just like, I need to find some. Did you, so you didn't find me. There's gotta be some mm. there by now. Was that a I while know, back? That was, that was probably, where was I going? I was actually going to see the band extreme in oh, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And my layover was in Dallas. So I would say this was about six years ago. Okay. Well, next time, you know, text me or something. I'll, I'll bring some out to you while you're waiting. 
I'll just come. I'll just come maybe actually visit Fort Worth and check. It yeah, out. There you, you, go. you got to. It's great. Well, I'm really appreciative of your time today. And it's been a blast talking to you. So, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You. Excellent. Um, thank we, you. We like to wrap things up by asking people what food, clothing item, toy, etc. doesn't matter what it is, but what do those items make you nostalgic for the 90s? Pogs. Did you have pogs in Canada? Yes. Okay. A, I didn't really understand it, but I knew that kids liked it. Mm -hmm. And, and it seemed kind of like a fun thing. Like I goofed around with some pogs. What mm -hmm. happened to them? Like, why would they come and go so violently? But I, when I think of that, I, I think of, yeah, I think of jeans that were slightly baggier than they needed to be. <laughs> Not to the point that they got really crazy later, but slightly baggy jeans, mm -hmm. a t-shirt with a necklace and we all wore necklaces. Yeah. And then people playing pogs. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That, that was as nice as you can get. Literally talking about pogs the other day and why they never came back yet. But uh, I was thinking of making business cards out of pogs. That is genius. I love that. Yeah. That I like. That's really cool. Yeah. I'd be down with that. But uh, yeah, been a blast. Thanks so much, Todd. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. All right. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. See ya. Bye. Bye. that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.